last Sunday evening we had a, a little parent seminar uh, called Talking With Your Kids, and it was talking with your kids about dating, marriage, sexuality, things like that. And, and we met in here, and we had a little discussion group, and 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 it was it was interesting because we you know we talked about we had people share their story you know their dating story and so on. I kind of talked in groups about that, and and it made, really made me think. I mean, I, I, if you are a married person today, um, then then and 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 if you're not, then then you've paid attention to this before. Do you notice how when people are dating, they're on their best behavior? I mean, it is everything. They're putting their best foot forward. I mean, they're going to try to impress the other person. They're not going to say anything negative whatsoever. Ladies, just so you know, if your dude is doing that, man, he is a liar. Oh, he's a liar. Oh, liar, liar, liar. He's a liar. That ain't who he is. He's going to get the door for you all the time. Listen, if he, if, if you settle into something with him, all he's going to do is push the button from now on. That's it. You know, you're on your own. You know, if it's raining, good luck. Bring your own umbrella. That's the way it is. So, you know, that's the way it goes, though. I mean, if you've seen that. I mean, you watch young people. And, and, and listen, it's okay that we teach our young people, you know what, when you when you are in a dating relationship, treat the other person well. It's not, I'm not talking about the, the other side of that. But it's interesting, Nancy and I have been married now for going on 17 years, and it's interesting that after a while, you stop doing that. <clears throat> know what I mean? Maybe it takes you, you know, a little while, but if you've been in any kind of relationship whatsoever for any length of time, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. It can be a relationship with, say, your parents or your children or coworkers or whomever, but eventually you begin to know the person a little better. And some of the things that they do really aren't cute anymore. They're just annoying. Stop that, will you? It's just, oh, it's terrible. And you begin, as you know a person better, you you tend to, at least in some cases, just because we're human, you tend to maybe resent that a little bit more. You tend to call those things out a little more. What once was was cute that your kids do, you know, when they're three and four years old. Now they're 15. They shouldn't be doing those things anymore, right? Take care of yourself, man. It's interesting how the more we get to know somebody, and sometimes the people we know best are the ones that we treat the worst. Isn't it interesting how that happens? We know so much about them. And we know exactly what pushes their buttons. We know how to use those things against them. We know what will really set them off. And it's interesting that we can easily exploit their weaknesses, their shortcomings, their issues in life, because we know them so well. We're human, and that's just what we do sometimes. I'm thankful from what we're going to see in the Scripture today that Jesus is totally different from us. He's totally different. He became one of us. He left heaven, became one of us, was born just like all of us, and yet is totally different from us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And he died a sacrificial death and was raised again to promise eternal life to everyone, as the Scripture will say today, who believes in him. He's totally different. Those that we know best, we easily resent the most. But as you're going to see today, Jesus is different. I'm just going to give you the point of the sermon up front. Is that okay? Some of you, you came for this. You can leave right after I give it. That's fine. 
go get your other hour of sleep. You don't want to be embarrassed about getting here in a minute while I'm talking. Um, but I'm just going to give it to you up front. And this is going to be the only thing on your bulletin you got to fill out. I mean, this is going to drive some of you nuts. But I'm going to give it to you. This is going to be more of what we might call a deductive sermon. If you know anything about inductive and deductive reasoning, inductive means we build up to it. Deductive means we build out of it. And so we're going to go out of it today, build out of this. Here's the truth. Jesus knows you best and loves you most. He knows you best and he loves you most. He's not like us. He doesn't get to know us better. He doesn't know everything about us better and then use it all against us. He doesn't resent us because of what he knows about it. He knows us better than anybody. He knows us better than we know ourselves. I hope to show you through some episodes in the scripture here how that's true, but he knows us best and loves us most. The series that we're in, as you see at the bottom of the screen there, is called The Way of the Master. And we're now 11 sermons into this thing. We've had it interrupted by different guests and so on, which have been great. Last week we had BCM Day, Murray State Day, and that was wonderful. I know many of you were here for that, and that was great. Uh, This series is really just trying to look at what was it that Jesus did? What's the way of life that he showed us? What are the elements in this way of the Master? The early Christians were called those of the way, and they had a master to follow, the way of the master, this apprenticeship that we get. Today, the the scripture that we're going to look at first, and really the message, and even the point that you see there on the screen, it it can really be cliche. Um, If if you're not even a church person, you know, maybe this is your first time in church in years, I have no idea. Maybe maybe you talk with people, they, they haven't been to Sunday school, they haven't been to church in years and years and years. They're going to know the verse that we're going to look at today, at least at least the first verse of the two that we'll see in a minute. But I really hope it's more than a cliche, because the way of the Master, as the sermon title says, is simply grace. We've heard it all before, but I think, at least for me, I know I need to hear it again. If you got your Bible handy, or you got your hand out there, look with me at the Scripture, John chapter 3. And we're going to look at what was... What would probably be considered the most famous verse in all of Scripture and the one to follow it. Jesus here is having a conversation leading up to this with a man named Nicodemus who who wants to know uh, about eternal life. And Jesus is explaining it to him. And and he talks about it in John chapter 3. And he leads up to John chapter 3 verse 16. Now the scripture that, that I'm, the version I'm reading from this morning is called the Holman Christian Standard. It's a little, bit, a little bit different from maybe the version that you grew up with if you're a King James person or NIV or New American Standard. But the way that this is worded really captures it, I think, the way that, that it's intended to be captured. Uh, it's not that God so loved the world, he just so loved the world. It's here's how God loved the world. It's not just the feeling, but here's what God did as a result of his love Toward the world. Look at it in verse 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then the verse that we often forget about For God did not send his Son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You see, sort of the the juxtaposition, if you will, the setting up. Here's The opportunity he had, he had the opportunity to condemn the world, but that's not the reason that Jesus came the first time. Now, just so you know, Jesus is coming back. The Bible makes it very clear that he came the first time in grace and without condemnation. The second time he's coming is in judgment. 
And the only chance that we have to escape the judgment is between the first time and the second time is to turn our lives completely over to God in faith, believing in Jesus, just so you know. There's no second opportunity down the road. Well, I'll get right with God one day. I've heard a million country songs about that. One of these days, I'm going to get right with God. But until then, I'm going to do what I want to do. I like country music, but that stuff drives me nuts. <laughs> How do you know one day's coming? The Bible just simply tells us that between the first time that Jesus came and the second time that he's coming back, here's our opportunity. What are we going to do with Jesus? But we learn here in verse 16 that he loved the world and demonstrated it in the way that he sent his son to die on a cross so that we might not die but have eternal life. I've heard it said that for those that believe in Jesus, you're born twice and you only have to die once. For those who don't, you're born once and you got to die twice. You're born twice as a believer in Jesus, once naturally and once spiritually. And you only die once, which is physically, and you live forever spiritually with Jesus in heaven. If you're, if you're not a believer... You're born once physically, never born spiritually, and you die physically, and then the Bible tells us that eternal death spent in hell. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 tells us that God loved the world and He didn't send Jesus to condemn but to save. But is it really true? Is that really what Jesus did? This is at the beginning of one of the Gospels. This sort of is the deductive reasoning. Here's what Jesus came to do. Does it play out in his life? Is this how Jesus really lived? We know he died. Okay, I get that. He died for the sins of the world. And that all who will believe in him will, will, will not perish but have eternal life. But did he really live in such a way that he did not bring condemnation on people? And that's what I hope to show you this morning. I, I want to look... We'll just look very quickly at five different examples of how Jesus lived in such a way that demonstrates that he did not come to condemn, but to save. He came in grace, not in condemnation. If you want to write these down, I've left you a little bit of space there in your handout. You can write down where we're going, and you'll see there that, that I want you this week just to remind yourself of this truth and, to, and then to replicate it for those around you. In each scene, just so you know, the, the haunting question for each person in every scene that we'll look at is, is, does Jesus know? Does he know? I mean, does he, does he really, really know? Look with me in John chapter 4. <clears throat> if you got your Bible handy, go ahead and turn, or you got a smartphone or whatever, you got the Bible app, get there. John chapter 4, look at, at first uh, verse 6. Jesus here is, is uh, traveling. And he comes to a place and it says this, Jacob's well was there and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? They didn't like each other. It was a, it was a racial and religious issue. <clears throat> for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. <clears throat> Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? She didn't quite get it. 
You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that, I won't, so that I won't get thirsty and come to draw water. She still doesn't quite get it. She thinks it's physical water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. And in verse 17, I don't have a husband, she answered. You've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. I mean, put yourself in her shoes for just a second. This little episode... She's walking to the well to get some water. It's later in the evening, six in the evening or so. And she walks up upon a guy who starts to talk to her in sort of code language about some living water. And she begins to perceive there's something a little different about him. And then he says to her, yeah, I know who you are. I know what you're about. I mean, what, what panic must have come over her? Who is this guy? But does he really know why I'm here alone? You realize that someone like her, unfortunately, would have been shunned in her community. She had five different husbands. Maybe they all died. I don't know. Or maybe she was the problem and they all left her. Maybe she feels like I, I'm, I'm useless and worthless. I mean, it's just one man after another after another. Does this guy really know what people say about me? Does he know the stupid choices I've made? Does he know, as she said, you know, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. What are you even talking with me for? Jesus knew her checkered past. Jesus knew her current sin of sleeping with a man that wasn't her husband. He knew all of that. He knew that she was ashamed, that she's isolated, that she's wanting to avoid everybody else. She came alone which was unusual. Most of the time the women would come together and they'd sit and talk. She came alone. And Jesus knew her. Later on, she would go on to tell her friends, this man, you've got to come and see him. He told me everything about myself. Guess what? He knew her best. And he knew of that deeper thirst that she had, that she had tried to quench it with love from men and it would never go away. Jesus knew her best. Then look over in Luke chapter 7. Flip to the left just a little bit. Matthew, Mark, Luke, right before John. Luke chapter 7, look at verse 36. Jesus knows us best. He proved it there with the woman that he met there at that well. And then again, here in Luke chapter 7. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to uh, eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood before him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with a hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. This woman who was a sinner, it's a nice way of saying she was a prostitute. It's a nice way of saying she sold her body. Verse 39, the, the guy says, you know what, if this guy truly were a prophet and could understand things, he'd know who this woman is and what she is, and he'd have nothing to do with her. This lady gets word that Jesus is in town. Jesus is at this particular house 
And she goes and she begins to worship at his feet and to perform the foot washing that would have been the slave to the master kind of thing. Maybe she's thinking to herself, if he knows who I am, he doesn't seem to care. He doesn't seem to be like everyone else. He doesn't seem to mind that I'm close to him and he is a rabbi and a teacher and a holy man and here I am, this sinner. He doesn't seem to mind and he doesn't seem to want what most men want with me. The thing is, of course, he did know even before she walked in who she was, knew full, full well who she was and how she made her money. He knew her reputation. He knew that she was a lost sinner and that's exactly why he did what he did to allow her to come close to him. And later on, he would say to her, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. He knew her best, and yet he loved her most. Then flip back over to the book of John. Was Jesus true when he said that the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved? Would he condemn people or would he not? John chapter 9. Verse 1, as Jesus, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed through him. Here's a guy sitting begging. He was born blind, so somebody must have done something wrong. You ever, you ever bought into that, the idea of karma? Well, I tell you what, you know what, don't do this or you're going to get it. Well, something went wrong. You've got some kind of disease, so you know what? God's punishing you. you you've done something. You need to get right with God or it's going to continue. I, I love the fact that the idea of karma and retribution theology doesn't fit in any way with Jesus doesn't fit. I've mentioned this to you before, but I'll say it again. If you're buying into the idea of karma, well, I'll tell you what, you're going to get it. Your good deeds eventually will get you good things. Your bad deeds will get you bad things. Then you misunderstand the gospel of Jesus Christ. You misunderstand it. Because the grace of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus tells us that in grace, He gives us what we don't deserve. And in His mercy, He doesn't give us what we do deserve. Now, I praise God that karma is not something that's coming back on me. Because listen, I don't deserve anything but rotten, awful, nasty stuff coming back to me. I just don't. I mean, if I, you're going to take my good stuff and, oh, okay, I'll wait. Well, you're the pastor for crying out loud. Well, that's the truth. I, I, I still sin. Sorry to burst your bubble there. I know for some of you. Some of you are like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Stop, okay? (laughs) But Jesus here has the chance to confirm the idea of karma. Who sinned? Who's the problem here? Why is this guy blind? He must have done something wrong. Was it it him or was it his parents? Well, it couldn't have been him because he was born that way. He was born blind, so he couldn't have sinned in the womb to give him any kind of retribution. So it must be his parents. And Jesus said it wasn't either one of them. You're missing the point. I wonder what this guy sat there and thought. Is this Jesus, I mean, does, does he know I haven't done anything to deserve this? 
I mean, does he know that just circumstances in my life have been unfair? I mean, does he know that I hate sitting and begging every single day? Does he know what it feels like to be an outcast in his society? Does he know that I've got to beg every single day? Does he know that other people have walked by and claimed they can heal me and I've jumped through all their hoops too? Does he know? Jesus knew more about this man than that man knew himself. I wonder if the man thought, well, I guess I've done something wrong and God's getting me. And Jesus said, no, that's not the case. Jesus knew him best. And look back at John chapter 8. A story that didn't originally appear in the manuscripts of the Bible, but was a story that was handed down and later a, a scribe put it in. And we, we can't be totally sure that this was part of the original gospel of John. In fact, most scholars would say that it wasn't, but it seems to fit very well with who Jesus was and what he was about. It doesn't take away from the picture that we have of Jesus. And so here's a little example. John chapter 8, verse 2, At dawn he went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery in the very act, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. And the law of Moses commanded, the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They asked him this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and, and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to him, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go and from now on do not sin anymore. I wonder when she stood in front of him. As these people, these Pharisees, these religious leaders catch her in this atrocious sin of committing adultery. They drag her out into the street and make her stand right there in the middle of everybody. And they come before Jesus and say, what do you think? I wonder when she stood there, did she wonder, does he know? Does he know this isn't the first time? Does he know that I can't break free of this? Does he know that I hate myself for what I do? Does he know that I feel so worthless? Does he know that these Pharisees are right, that I truly deserve the condemnation, the punishment they're talking about? And he knew. He knew she was guilty. He knew what she deserved according to what they said was the law. But he also knew she's being used by the Pharisees. They had labeled her. They cared nothing for her. And they were going to use her sin just to trap Jesus. Just to get him to say, well, I'm not about grace and mercy. Or I'm not about the law of God, one or the other. Jesus did neither and he also did both. He got rid of those who were condemning her, and then he looked at her, he spoke to her, and he set her on a new course. He said, go and sin no more. And then one last episode to look at, and then we'll round to a close in just a minute. I want you to flip over to John chapter 21. Very last chapter in the book of John, right before you get to the book of Acts. John chapter 21. 
There's a conversation that Jesus has over breakfast with one of his disciples named Simon Peter. It's interesting because Jesus had named him, had nicknamed him Peter. His name is actually Simon, but the Greek word for Peter means rock, a, a solid foundation, something that's not going to change. And this episode takes place after Jesus was crucified and then was raised again, which came after Peter's denial of Jesus. Peter claimed that he didn't even know who Jesus was. And in fact, he started yelling and cussing and screaming at everybody and calling down curses on himself and Jesus and everybody, saying, I don't even know this guy. I don't even know who you're talking about. And then there they are sitting again after all that's taken place. And and in this, I'll recap it for you, there are three times when Peter denied Jesus and three times Jesus asked him in John chapter 21, do you love me? Very symbolic. Helping Peter understand that, look, you denied me completely and yet I know completely and I love you completely. Do you love me, he says. Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter three times says yes. And so Jesus then, who's not finished with Peter, says then go and do these things that I want for you to do as leader of my church. Shepherd, feed. Feed my sheep, he says. And Peter didn't have to ask, does Jesus know? Of course he knew. He was standing right there when Peter committed that sin of denial. They made eye contact, the scripture tells us, and then Peter went out and he wept bitterly, the scripture says. Peter was scared to death to share the same fate as Jesus, and so in a moment of pressure, he claimed they didn't know him. He backed down. There was a fire that night that was going on, a little charcoal fire. The night that Peter denied him, and guess what was burning the morning that Jesus met with him on the beach? A little charcoal fire. Peter had denied him at night. Jesus restores him at daybreak. Jesus knew everything about Peter. And turned his night into day. What Jesus knew about them, he knows about us. Each of these people, each of these five in these different scenarios that we've looked at quickly, Jesus knew about them and he knows about us. He knows you best. You can try to hide. You can try to pretend. You can come to church and put on your churchy face and your smile and all that stuff like we all do every single week. But you can't escape the fact that Jesus knows you best. He created you. Knows everything about you. He knew what they had done and he knows what you've done. He knew what had happened to them and he knows what's happened to you. He knew why they had done what they had done. And he knows why you have done what you have done. He knew why what happened to them happened to them, and he knows the same about you and me. He knew how they felt about it, and he knows how you feel about what you've done or what's happened. He knew how they'd been treated because of it all, and he knows the same about you. He knew how they had tried to hide it, how they were ashamed. He knew all of that, and he knows the same about us. He knows us best. He knows your shame and your regrets and your confusion over life's circumstances. He knows your lostness today. If you don't know Him, He knows. He knows your disillusionment with life, your anger, your guilt, your doubt, your hopelessness. He knows it all. 
You can hide it from everybody else and even try to deny it for yourself and try to lie to yourself. But Jesus knows you best and he knew them best. And the great truth, though, is that he loved them most. And the truth for us again today is that Jesus knows you best and loves you most. He didn't condemn that woman at the well who had five husbands and still no real life. Jesus loved her, spoke with her, and told her all about himself. The woman who washed his feet, that sinner, that prostitute, she finally found someone who loved her just for her, just because she existed, not because she gave her body to him. The man born blind, who was forced to sit and beg, had no one really to take care of him, who was a problem for his family, an outcast in that society that people would rather just avoid and not have to be around. Jesus, however, loved him and defended him. And he touched him and he spoke with him and he healed him and he loved him more than all the religious people who just wanted to find some way to blame this guy. The woman caught in adultery who deserved the punishment that she was about to get, who was disposable, condemned, and ashamed. Jesus knew all she had done. And what does he say? Whoever is without sin, you cast the first stone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then Peter at the campfire He knew everything that Peter had done. He knew he was a coward. He knew in the moment when he said, I'll, you know what, I'll die for you, Jesus, that he just said, I don't even know who he is. Do you love me, Jesus? Ask him, yeah, I do. But Peter's thinking, man, but I'm a failure. I'm useless. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, if there ever was a time for Jesus to start over with some new guys, some new disciples, it was after Peter had denied him, Judas had betrayed him, and everybody else sort of, Tried to avoid getting caught. If I'm Jesus, probably at that point, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to start over with some new dudes. Give me some new guys. You know what he does? He goes to the guy who called down curses and said, I don't know him. And he says, look, I've got some jobs for you. I'm not done with you. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. God loved the world in this way that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal or everlasting life. For Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but so that through him the world might be saved. The truth is that all of us stand right now in and of ourselves, apart from Jesus Christ, condemned by God because of our sin and our sinful nature. We all stand on level ground. I'm two steps up on the stage, but I'm on level ground with you at the cross. Jesus, in every scenario that we saw, Jesus was the only one qualified to condemn because he's perfect. You realize that? The only one. There's nobody else in this world qualified to condemn you for your sin but Jesus and him alone because he's the only one never sinned. Anybody else that tries to condemn you for, for your sin, just turn it back around on them. Yep. You're a sinner too, right? Yep. So we're both condemned. Well, but, but, um, okay, right, gotcha. There's only one who is qualified to condemn. And guess what he chose not to do? Condemn. He chose not to. He had every opportunity, but he didn't. It wasn't because of ignorance. He knew what they'd done. He knows what you've done. It wasn't because he's soft on sin, that he doesn't care. That's not it. Jesus told the lady, go and what? Sin no more. 
wasn't because of, well, who am I to say that this person... He, he has every right to say, yep, I can condemn you because I'm perfect. He didn't condemn because he was sent to save, to demonstrate the undying love of God toward his most precious creation. You. He knows you best. And he loves you most. Two things this week I hope that you'll do. They're just written there on the side of your handout. First is to remind yourself of this truth. When you're reminded of what you've done, when you're reminded of your past, when you're reminded of your ruined future, when you're reminded of what's happened to you, of the choices you've made, of what you've said, of what you hate about yourself and your life, when you're reminded of all those things and they're right there in front of you and they stand yelling and screaming and condemning you, you remind yourself of this truth that Jesus knows you best and He loves you most. And that love never changes. No matter how good you are, you never can escape your need for the love and the grace of Jesus. And no matter how bad you are, you can't ever get bad enough to where it won't work. Remind yourself of that this week. And then replicate Jesus this week. Look at what He thought of and how He treated and what He said to the people who He could have condemned. Who He knew best. And I wonder how would that change what you think of, how you treat, and what we say to the people that are around us who honestly, just like us, deserve condemnation. But if we're ever going to have impact as Christians, as believers in this world, we've got to replicate Jesus. We've got to walk in the way of the Master. We don't need to scream and shout condemnation and yell and holler and post all about it on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else. You're going to have opportunity this week to either replicate Jesus or simply condemn someone else. I guarantee you. And it's probably going to be somebody in your family. Because those that you know best, sometimes we treat the worst. What if you reminded yourself this week, you know what, Jesus knows me best. (laughs) Oh boy. And yet He loves me most. He still loves me most. And what if for the people that you know best or the folks that offend you the most (laughs) that you simply said, you know what, I'm not going to be ignorant, I'm not going to be soft on sin, but I'm just going to love them the way that Jesus has loved me. That's the way the Master. It's grace. It's giving what is not deserved. Refusing to condemn. Letting Jesus handle all of that. Let me live out His grace and His truth. Let's pray together. As you're there, just kind of thinking and reflecting a little bit, I I wonder what it is God has spoken to you. And we kind of were all over the Scripture today, but maybe one of those episodes is you. And you're wondering, you know, does He know? Does He know? Yeah, He does. And you're wondering, what's He going to do as a result of what He knows? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that while we were still sinners, that God demonstrated His love toward us. And in the midst of our sin, Jesus died for us. 